0: Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. We've been doing a series called When God's Will Brings a Test, and this is the third message of this series. The series is called When God's Will Isn't Your Will. And I've laughed about that a lot because there's just no mystery as to where I got that series, you know. I rarely pray and go, gosh, where do those people need? You know, I have it all together, so what can I share with them? It's always coming from some kind of a deprivation or some kind of a hunger or need in my own life and getting in front of God and going, God, you know, so much of my life is my will not quite meeting your will, you know, not matching. And I really believe that's what the cross is. It's kind of like when my will crosses God's will And God says that we need to carry our crosses. Jesus says, you cannot follow me unless you carry your cross. And so much of the cross for me is God's will going one way and my will going another way. And being a mature Christian or growing up and following God is when I'm able to lay down my will and say, not my will be done, but yours. We're to be praying. Jesus said that we are to pray, thy will be done. And, you know, we weren't taught to pray, my will be done, you know. And yet, I'd love it if I could pray, my will be done. Because my will is right, you know. If everybody would just pay attention to what I think is right, this world would be so much better. I've been telling my family that for years, and it's not worked real well. Um, Although I'm happier when they do my will. That is true, that we need to understand that God's will is different than our will, but it's always better. It's always bigger. I can't tell you how many people, even at that reunion, my 20th high school reunion, last night I talked to that had been through extremely difficult things in their life, and yet they were able to say, you know, I really see what God was doing. I didn't at the time, but I see it now. I mean, there's something about... Going through things and and getting to the other side of them and saying, I see what God was doing. So today we're going to talk about when God's will is a test. The first message that that I spoke, um, in case you want to know, since this is message three. The first message that I spoke was when God's will is an inconvenience. That's a really good message to hear. The second is when God's will calls you higher, and then today when God's will is a test. And I felt like the first thing that I needed to clarify was the difference between a trial, a test, and a temptation. Because God never tempts us, ever. But He does test us. God doesn't tempt us, but He does test us. And I feel like there's one Verse in the Bible that I would encourage you to mark in your Bible or write down that really defines the the difference between a trial, a test, and a temptation. Because if we ever feel like God is tempting us, then it seems like He's on the same side as Satan. He's on the same side as, as the enemy, and that would be completely incorrect thinking, and that would affect even how we deal with things. It, it would not be a good thing. And so I want you to know that James 1:12 through 14 describes and defines that for us. And I'm going to read it to you. It says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. You know, that scripture says very clearly that we will be under trials, that God will actually allow trials in our lives, and we will have times of trial. And it also says clearly that God will test us. And we don't realize that, but God does test us, but he tests us with with the anticipation that we're going to pass the test. Just like if you tested your children, the first time they're allowed with the car on their own at night is a test. But you do it because they're ready. You do it because you have the anticipation that they're going to pass the test. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized us, and yet what is common to man, and that we should be accomplishing or going um, winning in that temptation, not letting that temptation entice us or pull us down because God has provided a way out first corinthians ten thirteen says God has provided a way out for every temptation that we encounter, and what we need to clearly see is though even though we're tempted. We're not ever tempted by God. We are tempted by the enemy, and God has provided a way out. God does test, but he doesn't tempt. God will test us in our lives. And what's been very apparent to me in my life is that if I don't pass the test, I get to take it again. (laughs) And, you know, it's kind of like... And, and I know that, and that's why, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a funny thing, but I tend to think better when I have word pictures and when I can really grasp onto things. And there have been times in my life and times in my marriage almost every day that do you remember when, I don't know if they have it anymore, but like they would have a, a, a test of the emergency broadcasting system and your TV would go, and you just have that time where they would take it, they would have a test. Well, I feel like spiritually sometimes in my life, I can just sense this is a test. And I'll hear this, this is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. And I will know that I will have a choice right in that split second. Are you going to pass the test, Kathleen, and take it again? I mean, are you going to pass it and win it, or are you going to take it again? And what I mean by that is, are you going to be patient in this certain situation, or are you going to fail the test and get to take it again? You know, what are some of the tests that God has in our lives. And that's not our will. I would rather never be tested by God. I'd rather just come down on this earth and have chocolate cake and ice cream and run around and say, I love Jesus, and never have a trial, which we know God allows trials, and never be tempted, which we know that God does not create the temptation, but does he ever test us by allowing a temptation in our lives? Absolutely, 100% yes. And you should say, where's the scripture to everything that anybody, preacher teacher, says? And my scripture there would be when Jesus was led to the wilderness. He was led to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. But he was tempted by Satan. The Holy Spirit literally led him to a place where God was going to test him. But God tested him because he knew he was going to pass the test. You know, the more tests that enter into our life, we should feel like this is part of God's allowing us to go from glory to glory. And I'm not talking about being tested by sickness. I'm not being talking about those things. I'm talking about being tested in the sense of, well, my first example is when God will test me With a question of, will you praise through pain? That's a great test. Will you, through the difficulties in your life, praise through pain? And I know that I was really convicted the other day because I I have gone through so many things. um, Physically speaking, many, many surgeries, um, many, many difficulties, um, going through cancer, going through leukemia, going through multiple back surgeries, and then six weeks ago, going through my last back surgery and having it be so much bigger than even the surgeons thought it was going to be. The neurosurgeon, the orthopedic surgeon felt that it was going to be a huge surgery, but when they went in there, the, the nerves were very, very twisted. Very, it, was a, it was a big deal. And finding out later after the fact that I had six huge screws put in, in addition to the hardware I already have in there, six huge bolts and two more rods. So I have three rods in my back. And it's been very, very painful and a slow recovery and kind of going up to God and going, you know, I know that it doesn't really help to say, why has all this happened? And I know this isn't from you because sickness and disease is not from God. The Bible clearly, clearly says that. But um, knowing that God has a test for me in it, knowing that he wants me not only, and you not only to persevere under trial, but to come out shining, to come out um, not smelling like smoke, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to come out better. And one of the trials that he has for us as Christians when we're going through one of the tests, I guess I should say, when we're going through a trial would be, will you praise when you're in pain? When my will isn't God's will, my will is to sulk when I'm in pain. I don't know about you. My will would be for people to, um, especially the ones that are close to me, like my family, um, maybe feel sorry for me and serve me when I'm in pain. God's will is for you to praise when you're in pain. Why? Why? Well, not because he wants us to look like mega Christians and, oh, you know, nothing's wrong when it really is. And not because he wants us to um, do something that's impossible for us, but because praise literally breaks down the prison doors. Praise literally makes depression fall off of you. Praise will change your life. Praise, if we look in the scripture and we take all of our truth from the word of God and not from circumstances, not from people, not from what we learned in the past, But we look at the word, praise not only sets me free, it sets everyone around me free. If you look back into the word of God and you look in Acts 16, it talks about Paul and Silas and how they were talking about Jesus and spreading the word of God and they were doing the right thing. They were good people and yet they encountered trial after trial after trial. And that's what we ask sometimes. How come, God, good good people go through so much, you know? And here is Paul and Silas in, in Acts 16. It said they were stripped. They were humiliated. I think that's humiliating to be stripped. They were flogged, which doesn't just mean beaten. It means that they were beaten with those uh, sticks that were on chains. They had a chain, and on the end of it was a piece of wood, and on this wood were nails that were sticking out from the wood so that on purpose they could rip the, the skin off your back. They were flogged, and they were thrown into prison. And then in prison, their feet were put into stocks. And so imagine you, or maybe you felt like times in your life that was you, Maybe something was going on so difficult with your children, you would have rather have been flogged. Or maybe something with your marriage, maybe something mentally, you know. I know I've shared before that um, a previous surgery that I had, I was given an anesthesia that just never quite left my system. And for the first time in my life, I had anxiety attacks. This was several years ago. And I felt for the first time what it was like to not feel like I had control over what I could think. And though it was a medicine thing for me and it was very temporary, it gave me a great empathy, a great empathy for mental illness. And you may have had that or you may have experienced that or you may be experiencing that and thinking, God, I'm going through such a difficult time. And God is saying, I'm testing you I'm not giving you that thing. I'm not giving you that anxiety. But will you praise me through the pain? Will you? Because when you do, and if you do, not only will prison doors, not only will depression and and so many things that that come with a difficulty or a trial, not only will those just fall off of you, and not only will the doors be opened for you to have freedom and walk free, but all of those around you, you will affect your generation. You will affect those around you. And so here is Paul and Silas. And we might think that they would sit together and pray and moan and say, God, why have you done this to us? And they didn't, though. There are our example. What did they do when they were in prison? It says, Acts 16.25, about midnight. At the darkest hour, you know, I think of that when it says midnight. Okay, in the deepest part of their pain, after being stripped, flogged, thrown into prison, and their feet in stocks, they were praying and singing hymns to God. And then the scripture records, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Of course, because the other people in pain are thinking, why are these guys praising God when they're in such dire, dire Acts 16.25 says, And suddenly there was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. And once all the prison doors flew open, everyone's chains came loose. You know, when I was reading this, I don't think I'd ever really noticed. I knew that the prison doors were opened. But I don't think I'd ever really read before that the scripture said, And everyone else's chains around them came loose. You know, when you choose to praise under pain, it can cause other people around you's chains to come loose. It doesn't just affect you. It affects your family. It affects your friends. It affects the generation around you when you choose to praise under pain. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Why? Because if a Roman jailer allowed his prisoners to escape and wasn't um, alert, then not only would he be killed, he would be most likely crucified. Well, they would much rather have a sword go through their heart and then be crucified. In Acts 16.28, Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In other words, if you're going to praise and there's an earthquake and you're literally set free, what must I do? You know, what is going to speak to our world? When we go through the same situations and pain that they go through, And yet we praise through pain. And they see it and say, I want that. How can you praise through this pain? And not only that, let other people around you be freed. That's what's going to speak to our generation that doesn't know Jesus Christ. And so Paul answers them in Acts 16.31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And of course you all know that. Paul ended up going and praying with the household of the jailer and they were saved. Praise releases faith, which moves God to break open prison doors in our lives and to shatter the strongholds maybe throughout our generations. You know, it's not talking about the pain or reviewing the problem that's going to make the difference. It's not... You know, if talking about the pain and reviewing the problem and analyzing the situation could have made the difference, you would already be free. Right? If, if, if just that one more person would do that one more thing, you would already be free. It has nothing to do with that. You need and I need God and our generation to do what no human can do and to do what you can't do. And he is not moved by begging, and he is not moved by tears. He has compassion towards tears. But the Bible tells us over and over and over that God is moved by faith. Go on your way and be healed. Your faith has healed you. Jesus said over and over. I'm not saying that God doesn't care that we cry. The book of Psalms says he collects our tears in a bottle. He's our heavenly Father. And he cares when we cry, of course, but he's moved by faith. He is moved by faith. And faith is built up and faith erupts out of us when we praise. So a huge test for me and a huge test for you would be, will you praise under pain? Not just when things are going good, but under pain. So what does praise mean? Praise means putting on praise music when you get dressed in the morning when you would much rather get back in bed? How many mornings would I have rather have gotten back in bed and just said, I do not. I told my mom over and over again, I mean, I have had my down days and my blue moments, and I've said, I don't want to recuperate again. I do not want to recover again. And you may feel that way. I can I can get choked up even saying that. I've been through enough. I don't want to do it again. But the second I can put on praise music and the second I can get before the Father and thank Him for all He's done in my life and praise His name, see His glory, it all changes for me. And then I have a determination in me to say, not only do I want the prison doors broken off of me and my heart and my life, I want them broken off of other people's lives. And that should be all of our hearts as Christians. That's when it gets exciting. That's a test for me. Will you praise through pain? Another test for me in my life has been, will you share my son? And, you know, that doesn't sound like, oh, well, Kathleen, that's not a test for you. That doesn't sound like that would be a test because, of course, I love sharing about Jesus. That's... What I get so excited about. That's my passion is sharing the word of God and sharing about Jesus Christ. But will you share my son even when it's on time or off time or time that you don't want to? And I'm going to give you a good example for me is airplanes. <laughs> my mom and my daughter have a personality type where they want to know who you are, what your dog's name is, um, where you live, what your favorite color is, in the grocery store line, they've never met you in their lives, and they will talk to you, and they're extremely interested. I don't care. I don't want to talk usually to people I don't know. I will say hello. I'm not an unfriendly person, but I don't care what your dog's name is. And and I have an agenda. Don't my dog. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. If I knew your dog Jerry, I would care. But um. You know, I guess just, I'm just being honest with you. I have a type A personality. I have a list. I want to get in the grocery. I want to get out. I'm not going to stand there with your, my cart and, and talk to someone I don't even know. Now, if you want to know about Jesus, I will, but I don't care what your dog's name is. And so on an airplane, I remember it was late at night and I was flying back and I was exhausted and I just wanted quiet. I just I, I just wanted quiet. I had my little light. You know, I was on an aisle seat. I had my little light shining down on my Bible with my open notebook. And I was going to prepare a talk for God. And here on the other side of the aisle is the person. You all know these people. They want to talk. And you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. And they'll ask something and then... Me, being the loving, you know, God, whatever you want me to do at any time, person is thinking, Lord, please help me to shut them up. And I mean, my test, I knew in my heart, it was like that, this is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. And I knew, I knew, I knew in my heart, Kathleen, your test here is, will you... Even when it's not in your timing, even when you don't feel like you want to, will you share my son? Will you be Jesus? Will you let the Holy Spirit shine through you? Will you love him? And he had a crew cut and he was kind of a tough kind of guy. And um, he's on the aisle seat across the way. Everybody's asleep. And he's like, what are you doing? And I told him, I said, I'm reading my Bible. And. I'm preparing to talk. Well, what do you do? And I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to get into this. Do you know how you do? You're like, okay, how can I tell him what do I do? And then, you know, pretend like my cell phone's wrong. Or, you know, how, you know you're like, oh, they're supposed to be off. That's not going to work. And so some of you are really excited about this. I can tell because you have the same personality type. And um, he just kept asking questions come to find out that he did not know the Lord. He was... Um, He just had so much pent up in him. He had a little boy that he hadn't seen in a long time, and he was flying home. He had just um, been given, I guess, some off time. I don't know officially what to say, but he had been fighting in Iraq. And he had seen his friends die. He was a young man. And he wanted to know, why did you have your Bible open? What is this about? It turned into a conversation of, why do you believe what you believe? Who is Jesus? I ended up writing out for him Psalm 91. The person that I was traveling with happened to have the verse with her, completely typed out, which was ironic in its own way because it was something that I had given her three years previous. She happened to have it with her, just Psalm 91 typed out, which is an incredible, beautiful, powerful, protective scripture to pray over someone that might need protection. That might be in harm's way. Or, or a scripture that you might want to pray over your family and children every day. And I thought, God, just how providential you are to have me give that to her three years previous. It wasn't for her, it was for him. See, God sees this bigger picture. And what would have happened had I asserted my own right and failed the test? I have a right to quiet. I have a right to downtime. I have a right to not talk to who I don't want to talk to. No, I don't. And no, you don't. You see, Jesus is more than your Savior. He's your Lord. And if He urges you to get past your personality, get past your own rights, and love somebody... It's not only a test, it's, it's an amazing blessing. And I'm so glad I passed that test because I know in the past and, and I've failed it. And I, I don't even want to know what I missed out on and maybe what I was supposed to do that would have made a difference in someone else's life. You know, will you pass the test to share Jesus? even when you're uncomfortable with it. And not only this, you know, you'll have to know on airplanes, when you start talking back and forth and you're in aisle seats and people, the lights are all off except for this, like, spotlight beam on us. Pretty much everyone else had the lights out. Everyone's listening. And so I'm kind of thinking, this is kind of embarrassing. You know, I'm I'm actually leading this guy to the Lord, and the whole airplane is listening. And when do we get to a point where we're like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care whom I'm offending either. We've gotten so politically correct that we're afraid to say anything. We're afraid to say the truth. The truth is is that we have a God that loves us and that wants to have us know and our children know and this generation know that he loves us and he has a son named Jesus Christ. And that in receiving His Son and receiving the forgiveness through Jesus, that Jesus took our sins and took our punishment, made it available for us to not be separated from God, that we can have a relationship with God, not only in this earth, but for eternity. And God wants us to share that. And yet, how often have I been like, nah, it's not convenient, or I'm embarrassed, or now the new thing is, it's just not politically correct. Truth is rarely politically correct. That you can write down. Will you pass the test? You know, so often our wills are not God's wills. Will you pass the test? I think I have one more that I can share. Another test for me would be, will you love your enemy? You know, that has been a huge one. I've talked so much About that because it's been a huge one in my life. I don't really have that many enemies, but God wants us to know that not only does He want us to love those who don't love us, but He wants us to bless those. And so part of loving your enemy is not just, okay, well, I pray for so-and-so. It's how can I bless them? It's looking for ways to not only pray for them, but to bless them. And in the Bible, I look at how Saul, King Saul, truly made himself an enemy of David. And the core, core cause of that was Saul's deep envy towards David. Envy always brings not only strife, but making someone your enemy that could be your friend. And Saul had such jealousy and envy towards David, and yet David continually not only served Saul and and played music for Saul and sung hymns for Saul to calm Saul down, because see, Saul had so much envy in him that it literally led in an evil spirit with him to where he became possessed with this envy. Possessed because the more he gave over of himself to things that weren't of God, the more possessed he became. So David had this possessed person that hated him, that he was continually serving. And, and it was interesting for me to see, too, that there were times that David could have killed Saul. You know, Saul was in continual pursuit of David to kill David. And there were times, there was a time in a cave that David could have just taken him out, and he didn't. He said, I will not touch God's anointed. And he continued to love and honor and respect Saul, although Saul did everything to destroy David. In the end, we know God honored David and anointed him as king, and David was the greatest king of Israel. But what was the picture that God wanted us to see with David and Saul? That David continually loved Saul. God calls us as a test, will you love your enemies? Not just, will you put up with them? You know, lots of times we think we're loving our enemies if we just don't say anything bad. And that's the way we're taught. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. So we think that we're big, holy Christians if we don't just say anything bad. But God wants us to go past that to loving them. And part of loving is giving. Part of loving is seeking out a way to bless somebody. And in my own life, I had a situation that um, a member of my family was greatly hurt, uh, defiled by a certain person in, in, a, in, a, in a way. And um, there has been a lot of forgiveness there, but God has been pushing me. What is one step further is how do you bless them? How can you bless them? And I had the opportunity a couple of years ago, this has been several years, to actually purchase something for them. And give it to them anonymously to bless them. And I can't tell you what it was or anything like that. But it was to bless them. And it was to, uh, it was to bless uh, a young man. And, and I can't tell you the release and the relief in me in knowing that's exactly what God wanted me to do. It was like passing a test. It was passing a test. And that's a test that God will put out for each one of us. Will you love your enemy? Not just in words, but in action. Will you love your enemy? And I just want to put out that to you today. Will you love your enemy? Can you pray and ask God, How can I bless this person, this family, this individual that has hurt me? How can I do it anonymously? See, so often when we bless someone, we want them to know I did this or... Um, we want them to know what a great person we are. Lots of times when when um, I forgive Lacey at something, I usually will tell him exactly what I'm forgiving him for because I want him to know how much he's hurt me and what a you know, strong woman of God that I am to forgive him. Well, you know, a bigger forgiveness is just not even saying anything. You know? And I'm not saying go and be a doormat, you know. If, if someone came to hurt my family or hurt my household, um, I would, um, and I knew with my whole heart that they came, like they came with a gun or whatever, or I would blow them away. I'm not trying to be unrealistic. I'm not trying to say that. God calls us to be protectors of our homes. But He also calls us to love our enemy. And you all know what I'm talking about. There's balance in this. It doesn't mean open up your heart again to be hurt. It doesn't mean open up your home for someone to wreak havoc. It means in a safe way, with all of your heart, asking the Holy Spirit, how can I bless them? How can I help them? And that's a test. And I just want to put that out to you today. You know, how can you love your enemies? When we allow God to test us, we're basically saying, well, well, we don't even allow Him to. He's going to do it anyway. When God tests us, He's saying, I guess I should put it this way, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I'm testing you because I believe you're going to pass this test. Think of it with your own children. When you test them, when you allow them to take a little bit more freedom or a little bit more, um, well, freedom... Will you give them a little more responsibility or reward? It's because with all of your heart, you know that they can pass that test and you want them to pass that test. And that's exactly what God feels towards us. When His will is at my will, many times it's when I'm to pass a test. I'm to praise through pain. I'm to love my enemies. I'm going to do something. I'm going to go ahead and, and share Jesus when it's not politically correct. It might be embarrassing, and it's not what I want to do at the time. But in every test that you pass, there's a reward. In every test that you pass. And it not only affects you, it affects everyone around you. And I'm excited to pass those tests. And I encourage you to want to pass those tests. That's how we change. That's how we grow And not only that, truth being told, if you don't pass them, you will take them again. And again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for changing us from glory to glory. Thank you for giving us your word, giving us your truth, so that we will be equipped to pass your test. Father, we have tests right now, every single one of us in our lives. And we'll have tests the second we walk out this door that we can choose to pass or fail. We can choose to make you Lord of our lives or we can choose to say, no, it's going to be my way or the highway. Lord, sometimes my cross to bear, our cross to bear, is when my will crosses your will. And yet you say you cannot Follow me unless you pick up your cross, carry it, and come after me. Follow me. Lord, I just ask in Jesus' name, in particular prayer, for whoever might be going through a test, that they pass that test, that they make you proud. And God, I'm just asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.